That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. Dr. David Miller here, naturopathic doctor, full of coffee. And Dr. Michelle Pubega, naturopathic doctor. Not uh, full cur- of coffee? Cur- currently full of kombucha. I had coffee in the morning. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. It's, well, it's, it's about three o'clock on our recording day, so this is well past my caffeine caffeine time. Yeah, and it's I'm, I'm pushing the limit with my coffee consumption uh, time today. Yeah. So yeah, I confess- but but we are, I mean, we're bringing this up because we are going to talk about caffeine, coffee, coffee specifically. But yeah, specifically coffee. Really, but like caffeine does have a lot of the effects on people. I think that we most, I don't know, see, but I think there are other properties to coffee that have very interesting effects for people as well. So uh, we do want to chat about the good, the bad, the ugly. The and, ambiguous. Yeah. It's, it's weird because a lot of, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of information out there and it can feel very confusing for people. Well, people come into my office and be like, okay, so I have this X condition. And when I read this person, it says I should do this. But when I read, read this article, it says I should do this. And then when I read this, it says something completely different and they're saying the exact opposite. And then people come to my office and they're like, I'm confused. And I was like, yeah, I would be too. If I was just cherry picking at people's individualized experiences. And I feel like coffee is another one of those things where it feels like uh, when it's good, it's good. And when it's not good, it's not good. <laughs> right. And, and it's, and it's, it could be circumstantial. It could be on where you are in your healing phase. It could be uh, you know, that your breakdown in metabolism because of your genetic your genetic makeup doesn't allow you to break it down effectively. I mean, there's a lot of different factors as to maybe why coffee is okay for some great for others and really not good news for other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a confusing one. I remember doing, uh, I did some, I did do research. uh, Like it was actually a really cool job. I got to do uh, like, I did got paid to do research for a little while Hmm. when I was in uh, naturopathic college, it was awesome. And one of the ones I had to look up, I believe was, Hmm. I don't know if it was coffee or caffeine. I should really know that. I think it was caffeine and it basically nothing's really changed from what I found 15 or so years ago, which was kind of like, yeah, some studies show, you know, really protective and good things happening. And some studies don't show um, I would say generally the slant, like I just, I just spent maybe half an hour ripping through PubMed and just going very general search on coffee, but mm-hmm. specifically coffee. And I'm glad you mentioned it. We're not looking at caffeine specifically because it's not the mm-hmm. exact same. Um, 
and and really generally the the overall results were sometimes good predominantly good like predominantly good yeah um but but I could immediately immediately see some instances where I would not think it's a good idea so I know we've given away you you sort of gave away the the sort of like short little quip it's good if it's good you know another way to say if it's if it's not bad it's probably good (laughs) oh my god Okay. Yeah. Do you want to? Okay. Do you 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 looked at some uh, some more of the specifics? I'll admit that I was sort of looking at overall uh, big studies of just like overall uh, quality of life or uh, susceptibility to uh, certain diseases, big diseases, cardiovascular disease, dementia, uh, frailty in the elderly, uh, and and like I said, generally it was good. You got a little bit more specific. Do you want to? I know that's usually the reverse. Usually like I'm less into the PubMed articles and you're like knee deep into them. However, I'm going to throw the ball back to you really quickly because you brought this topic to my attention to be like, Hey, let's chat about this. So my mind went to very specific things in my own personal research on this. Um, and yours went to, you know, the direction you went to, but what led you to this is a clinical story. And I think that like, maybe we start with that and we can talk about that side of things first. Okay. You want to share quickly about that? Yeah. Stories. I feel like that might be best. a good way to like nudge us into this area. Yeah. Yeah. Stories are the best. And, uh, I, I bet you find this a lot of the time too, that clinic is your best teacher. Sure. And, and I, I do look to, I'm, I'm very uh, grateful for, uh, you know, patients coming in and, and teaching us as much as we teach them sometimes. Um, so yeah, I had a patient come in, uh, this is a few weeks ago, uh, probably more than a month ago because I've had a follow-up with her. Um, she smokes, she drinks a lot of coffee. Um, her, her diagnosis that she's coming in for some help with was, was colitis, but you know, upon talking to her, I, I would say the most important uh, issue for her was that she had bowel incontinence, um, which I've seen lots of people and just it breaks your heart because it's not just a a problem of health and, in, you know, inconvenience, you could you could say, but it's such a social it has so many um, other effects that are really terrible for your life, including not feeling like you can go somewhere, uh, trust your bowels to, you know, hang out at someone else's house where there's not a you know, whatever, you don't have your, the right, you know, have, you have to wear a pad or, you, you you know, there's so, you can imagine it's not a, a very nice thing to deal with. So that seemed like that was the biggest issue for her. She would uh, not have control of her bowels a lot of the time. So she actually retired uh, earlier than she would have liked to retire because of this issue where, and, and it happened anytime basically after she ate, if she ate food, you can almost guarantee at some point in the soon after she would have uh, bowel incontinence. And um, so she ended up just not eating much. She'd actually mm-hmm. just not eat until the end of the day mm-hmm. um, and probably not the best foods a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we, she's, she doesn't have some of the highest standards of let's just, how do I say this? Nice. I, what, facts are facts, whatever. She doesn't have some of the highest standards of, of some like basic lifestyle practices. Right. So I tried to, you know, match whatever we could do upon you know investigating with her what you know what are you comfortable with what do you know and it, and it, by the end of the the treatment visit or the, the first visit all we'd done is some visceral manipulation i believe on the descending colon which in my experience is not going to 
it's not going to heal colitis. Yeah. One treatment, visceral manipulation, structural, uh, you know, it can help, but I, I wouldn't think in my experience that it's going to heal colitis. The other thing, um, I mean, it doesn't mean it's not worth doing, but anyway, you know what I'm saying? Right, I think. but it can help with the symptoms, but it's probably not going to like suddenly make this whole condition just magically disappear. Yeah, it's a, quite a systemic condition. It's not yeah. localized there. It just manifests yeah. its ugly head there. Yeah, um, Yeah, you get it. We, we get, get it, it, hopefully. Anyway, the only other thing we did was we we got her to stop drinking coffee. And, and a possible confounding variable here is that we didn't only get her to stop drinking coffee. She started drinking lots of tea. Um, and I didn't tell you that when, when I told you this little story. She did For start drinking lots of... No. Caffeinated tea. Caffeinated tea. Oh, okay. So very interesting uh, little twist in the story there for you, Michelle. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I forgot to tell you that. Anyway, so she comes back, I don't know, four weeks later, and I'm looking at my you know previous notes and going, man, all I did was get her to stop drinking coffee, maybe drink a little bit more water and uh, and do one, you know, one mobilization on the colon. And she probably still smokes and these other things. And, you yeah. know, I'm thinking, oh, God, what are we going to do today? She came in, she, she was smiling ear to ear. She was so happy with herself. She's, she feels like she's got her life back. She's had, you know, what she says are no symptoms of the colitis, which has been diagnosed, I think since 2008 or something, but most importantly, the most important symptom in terms of uh, her, uh, like the severity of things or impact on her life was that she, she can, she's had no accidents, no bowel accidents since we had, yeah, no yeah, it was more whoop whoop than poop poop, which is awesome. <laughs> um, well played. No, yeah. that's awesome. Like you even said, she she applied for jobs again because she feels like oh she's, she's got a job to be able to go back into the workforce. Which it was it was that debilitating for her quality of life that she actually had to take an early retirement. Like I just wanted th- that to sink into people, like how bad her poops were, and just taking out coffee made a significant impact on her quality of life. That's actually wild. I was so happy. And basically I, sp- I spent a lot of the visit just going like sort of trying to pick my jaw up off the ground yeah. b- because, because of how, how much impact it had with mm-hmm. such little, um, such little intervention. I mean, honestly, that is pretty remarkable. I mean, yes. I had, I had a, I had a client, um, we were, she came to me Oh my God. I feel like I've been working with her for a while. So I can't even remember exactly the initial visits, but there was a lot of heavy menstrual periods, extremely painful periods. She was like at a loss of things. We ran some, we ran some testing. Uh, I think we did some Dutch testing with her, et cetera, and found some just, you know, some imbalances that were pretty overt, but in that initial visit, um, something came up about coffee and I suggested that maybe she like drink a little bit less or take a pause from it. Um, and she came back the next appointment and she was like, my period pains are significantly reduced by just having cut out coffee. And I think she ended up switching to like matcha lattes or green tea instead. And she found that, uh, that already made a massive impact on her. And I was like, I was kind of blown away by that. I was just like, I was just more thinking about her stress response. I think at the time when I, when I suggested it, um, so again, another situation where I wasn't quite prepared for how remarkable the effects were. Now, as an avid coffee drinker, I have like a love affair with the taste of coffee and just the ritual of coffee. Um, 
And if somebody was like, Michelle, you have to take it out. I would probably be heartbroken and I would probably cry like big salty tears. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. I, I really, I really do love my morning coffee, but I'm very specific about like when I drink it, how I drink it, et cetera. And we can get into that as well. But I want to go into really quickly about one of those situations that, you know, when it's not good, it's not good like for the Crohn's and colitis or this bowels person, I came across a PubMed um, article about coffee and gastrointestinal functions. Um, and they were looking about at how it would affect um, its effect on dyspepsia, on GERD, um, and it didn't have any effect on dyspepsia, but heartburn is the most frequently reported symptom after coffee drinking. And it's demonstrated that coffee does stimulate gastrin release as well as gastric acid secretions. Um, but studies on any of the effects of the lower esophageal sphincter uh, didn't have really, they had a like, conflicting results. So I guess the biggest issue with regards to like GERD, heartburn, reflux is the gastrin and, uh, and gastric acid secretions that coffee, I guess, stimulates. Um, which is interesting. And it also prolongs the adaptive relaxation of the proximal stomach so that it suggests that it might slow down gastric emptying, which is, there's a little something there for you too. Yeah. And, and when you break, when you break down, I guess what coffee's doing at lots of different, uh, GI organs, it's, uh, stimulating, well, you'll like this, the biliary and pancreatic secretion. Yeah. It, it reduce- induces cholecystokinin. <laughs> <laughs> it reduces uh galt this says uh reduces gallstone risk uh yeah. and stimulates colonic motility yeah and changes the composition of the gut microbiota which may be partially due to the crazy amount of uh polyphenols in coffee which may be the antioxidants the main source of antioxidants for some people who don't eat a, a lot of fruits and vegetables yeah so the the parts the parts you know where it may not be so hot like you've talked about is gastroesophageal reflux gerd yeah. uh, regurgitation yeah um, peptic ulcers and and maybe intestinal inflammatory diseases which right. makes sense maybe for this woman right so and then- probably depends if it's gonna if it's gonna do something good for your digestive tract it maybe depends on where you have a problem. Mm-hmm. So I mean, what I, yeah, like what I do love that it, it, it does induce cholecystokinin. So it causes gallbladder contraction, which we love, but that also your bile is also going to improve, um, bowel movements is right as well. Like yeah. people who have make less bile, uh, they might be more prone to constipation because it is a bit of like a lubricant in certain ways too. Um, but there was something else. Coffee increases rectosigmoid motor activity within four minutes after ingestion in some people in this article, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Within four gastrocolic, minutes after- Gastrocolic reflex, probably. Yeah. Rectosigmoid motor activity. Right. But gastrocolic because the stomach sends a oh, signal yeah. Yeah. right away. So four minutes after ingestion. Um, the only if, way it could get there that, cause it's still in the stomach. The only way it could get there is a signal from the stomach at that point. Yeah. So, so That's that cool. was interesting. Um, so like it I will doubt, increase would, colonic motor activity because of that. And maybe that's what your lady was feeling, but I also think about, sorry, not to cut you off, but I also think about when someone's, someone's insides, pardon the pun are a shit storm. And if this increases you know, uh, rectosigmoid motor activity and colonic motor activity, it's probably just fuel to the fire. 
And it might not be the true problem, but when things are just in such a state of disarray, it's probably not helping. You know what I mean? Yeah, wh like what kind of shitstorm are you talking about? I think like, and I was that's what I was going to interrupt you. Oh yeah. <laughs> was was to say um you know probably the the more you are towards constipation functionally maybe it seems to have a bit more of a, a application or likely uh benefit whereas if you're right. you know if you're loosey loose yeah that's what I'm time. saying like a shitstorm like I remember in that's when what I you was meant in... by shitstorm you meant right loose. Well, come on no. tell tell the Not, people okay, what okay. shitstorm means let me <laughs> I mean when like someone has chronic inflammation and let's just say they have a microbial overgrowth and they have food sensitivities and this is off and this is off and all these things and maybe they have IBS maybe some days they're constipated maybe some days they have diarrhea maybe they totally have loose stools maybe they have some kind of inflammation if this is increasing mo like colonic motor activity, then it might not be in that person's best interest, maybe at that, at certain points of their healing phase, um, or it could be a total irritant just in and of itself for that particular person. So yes. it, like, again, this is where like the individualized case by case, but for constipation, it could be helpful, but I've had some people say like, I'm wildly constipated and whether or not I drink coffee, I'll still only go once every four days. And it doesn't make, doesn't do a lick for them either. Um, and I remember when I was in ballet school, I was in Montreal and, uh, uh, pop cigarettes and caffeine were the number one fuel source for unhealthy ballet dancers. Yes. It's totally a thing. And I remember some of my friends would be like, I can't have a morning poop until I have my coffee and cigarette in the morning. And it was, a, it was a dual, it was a dual thing. Right. And it was a, be, because of its colonic stimulation. Yeah. And I remember that, like, you know, cause when you don't eat very much, you don't have much to move. So I guess you need something <laughs> to stimulate activity. Um, so yeah, just a little something in there for you, but yeah, I guess like certain people's conditions are going to require you to just pay attention, fine tune things, and maybe take a pause as, as, un, as, un, as, as unpleasurable as that is, because I mean, coffee also has been found to like release dopamine. So you get like a little happiness hit yeah. and you feel good drinking it. So that's part of the people's appeal with coffee that's why as I well. Like it. That's why I love it. So, um, yeah. I'm just looking at this, this woman's chart from the first visit. Get, her favorite food is coffee. I wrote that's her favorite food. So she stopped. <laughs> Her yeah. favorite food. I'm surprised. Did she give you a hard time to take it out? Because people will fight me on that. Like, yeah. The um, death. <laughs> people will be like, never. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, that's a good question. And I'm, I'm looking back and I didn't, I didn't note anything that, that uh, is of, of note. Um, well, I mean, for the fact that she like explicitly ex expressed that coffee is her favorite food. I know. For that to be the first thing you remove. I would have expected a fight because most people will fight me on those things. Yeah. Why didn't she fight me on that? We, I mean, we, maybe we she was fight. just like, no, no, I mean, <laughs> but like, I guess it was the sense of like, she was just so desperate enough to feel better that she was. Yeah. Like, I think that's it. what it is. Like, right. And she said, I don't want any more accidents. I had yeah. to leave work because of accidents. So I think when someone's having such a shit storm as you, you talked about, um, yeah, they'll do what they have to do. I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, um, in a sense, by bringing up this topic in this context, is that quitting coffee for some people might be a high yield uh, single intervention. It yeah. might be. And yeah. I mean, it may not be for everyone. No. But like it changed this woman's life and she's going back to work and um, she's so happy. That's amazing. So, yeah. Right? And that's what it's all about.
Yeah. You might like uh, this too, Michelle. She got her, she got her, um, the onset of colitis is the year she got her gallbladder out. Uh, you guys, come and on. Then, <laughs> I know, crazy, right? And then from that first visit, she also said all of the, all fat comes out in the, in the bowels. They're bright yellow and often with a film. And that all went away too. Well, I guess because it's maybe not stimulating. Well, I mean, cholecystic kind of works on the gallbladder specifically, but she had that removed. Yeah, she had it removed, but it, I mean, I wonder what else it's doing to the liver. Unless, does this cholecystokinin still affect the liver? I'm going to have to look into that. I would imagine it does. I would doubt, I would doubt, I, I'm, I'm admitting that I don't know here, but I will say from the, the little grab of all the evidence I saw, it looked like specifically for liver health, specifically for liver health, and including, I think, hepatocellular carcinoma risk, um, coffee was protective. That's it. And I read that too, that, that it does improve. And it also reduces, um, uh, fibrosis, liver, liver, liver scarring in, uh, cirrhosis and fibrosis because of its effect on collagen. So there are some protective mechanisms of coffee as well. Um, part of why I also do the coffee enemas. Now there's a lot of weird mixed reviews online about coffee enemas and it doesn't increase glutathione and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I had to go down the rabbit hole because somebody was asking me these questions myself. So I had to go find some of the research. Um, and I did see some of the ones that are saying coffee enemas don't actually include increase blood levels of, um, they don't increase blood levels of glutathione. However, I do have an article that does say, oh my God, where don't tell me I closed it by accident. That would just be absolute bonkers uh, for me to have done that. <laughs> uh, that would have been the worst. Okay, but there is an article that says caffeic acid. So there's all these varying acids within coffee. So these different kinds of um, uh, compounds they're like really good polyphenols. So a Japanese study found that coffee can make up to 47% of people's daily polyphenol intake. And then they said it's probably even higher in the US considering Americans drink about four times as much coffee as Japanese people do. Um, but it is a really good dietary source of antioxidants and polyphenols. And some of those are called cafestol and cawiol. I don't even know how to say that, but it's K-A-H-W-E. OL are potent anti have an anti-inflammatory um, activities. And then the kawail also can strengthen your bones by blocking osteoclasts, which um, would otherwise break down bone cells. Uh, chlorogenic acid will significantly increase fat loss and possibly stabilize blood sugar, although the jury's out about its effects on weight loss. So again, it's it's not 100% conclusive. Um, so don't quote me on that. And then hydroxycinnaminic acids are also protective antioxidants against stress and damage, uh, sorry, oxidative stress and damage. And then there's also palmitic acid as well that's in that mix. But caffeic acid is one of those things that is found in coffee. It tends to be found in much more higher concentrations in like golden roasted or lightly roasted coffee. So the more you roast it, the more you start to denature some of these antioxidants and, and beneficial acids. But there is an article that says that caffeic acid does induce glutathione synthesis through very specific mechanisms, um, primarily in the liver cells. Now, when I was looking on just doing Google searches and a lot of things that were trying to say that coffee enemas don't work, on improving blood levels of glutathione. It might be because they're trying to check blood levels where this one seems to be very location specific. I think I also last week found something that it said 
it increased glutathione production both in the hepatocytes as well as in the small its effects in the small intestines with caffeine um and this this was done i think i believe in vitro and in vivo oral ingestion um the reason that coffee enemas are also still beneficial because they have a direct impact with the liver because of the hepatoportal vein. So these particular nutrients are still interacting with the liver on a more direct path, um, but in a more concentrated form. So we use a very golden roasted coffee. So there's less denatured caffeic acid. But the thing is you couldn't drink that because the amount of caffeine in it would be way too strong for people. So that's why it's administered in an enema. Um, to get more of a therapeutic dose to interact with the liver. So for all the naysayers about that, that's that's where that whole mechanism comes from. So it has been shown to increase glutathione production. It's primarily in hepatocytes. Voila, according to this article um, that was published in Food and Science Biotechnology. So. Yeah, so, so other things that seem to be across the board uh, beneficial effects of moderate coffee consumption, which we, we, I think we agreed was quite high, actually three to four mm -hmm. cups a day or three or 400 milligrams yeah. caffeine. Um, it seemed to be, uh, believe it or not, like cardiovascular disease. Um, and, uh, it looks like possibly, uh, dementia and, and, you know, protection in, <clears throat> in cardiovascular disease and dementia, which there's some overlap with for sure. Yeah. So interesting uh, there, and then also with uh, uh, decreased risk of urolithiasis, so so kidney stones. Yeah, um, there was some studies that showed that it had anti-angiogenic, um, the cahuihol or whatever it's called, and anti-inflammatory properties. And there was another one that says that that cahuihol and cafestol um, actually have suppressive effects on COX-2 expression in macrophages. Hmm. So having a really good anti-inflammatory and, um, new insights into anti-inflammatory and anti-carcinogenic properties of those two acids in coffee yeah. based on this particular PubMed article. Cancer so, seemed to be another area that was, yeah. that was definitely protective. So. And I think, and I think that's also why um, Gerswin Institute started doing the coffee enemas as well. And that's a big part of their cancer care therapy. Right. Um, and Dr. Lori Bouchard, who we had on, on to talk about coffee enemas, she does deal with a lot of cancer care and it is a part of her practice for those reasons. And there are studies to show that it does have a positive effect on those things. And it's not going to be in isolation. Let's be real, everybody, but uh, it can be a part of a well-created treatment protocol. Yeah. And, and yeah, this is, and these studies are really hard to like pinpoint all of the outcomes to this one factor. Like maybe the people who are drinking coffee or drinking it more with friends or they're yeah. taking a time out to relax. And that's also good for you. I don't like there's so much, but it looks like on the whole, the evidence sort of holds from 15 years ago to the same thing is that it's, it's generally good. Yeah. If it's good. Um, if it's when it's good, it's good. <laughs> there's a few, there's a few situations we talked about, maybe with patients where we might be a little bit more cautious with coffee. You brought one up to me uh, that I hadn't thought of. Do you want to, do you want to talk about those few situations we, we discussed? Yeah. So outside of like digestive stuff, I'm going to be thinking about people's caffeine or sorry, coffee consumption um, when there's sleep problems. Hello. 
Um, a lot of people can fool themselves and think that I can drink coffee at night and I, and I sleep fine. You might not be getting a deep sleep because it's probably because so actually, hold on, let me backtrack for a second, because I think by understanding certain things, people will start to realize why these are important. So the thing is on stress, cortisol, sleep, and anxiety. So those are the areas that we want to start thinking about coffee consumption. Um, and I, I, when I, we were thinking about this, it brought me back to Dr. Andrew Huberman, who I think is phenomenal. He's a neuroscientist and podcaster at a Stanford university, and he does very good. He brings really like scientific type of information to the public. And I had been applying this, like, don't drink coffee right away in the morning and drink my water first and delay it for years. Um, and I always, I always knew that it would have an effect on cortisol, but he's actually create a little bit more of an outline as to why. So they, he does talk about how we have to have a cortisol spike within the morning and our cortisol levels naturally peak around two hours after waking. And then it'll gradually decline throughout the day as we approach bedtime. So if we start our day with coffee ca or caffeine, the, the caffeine of the coffee will actually have a, an impact on our cortisol spike and it'll cause our cortisol levels to rise more quickly and then peak more sooner, which then in, like results in something that the cortisol dropping sooner as well. And then over time, your body can not only reduce its natural cortisol production necessary to like wake your body up and create optimal response, which you're supposed to, you're supposed to have a cortisol spike in the morning to wake your body up from the slumber you've been in. Um, but it, it can also start to have a tolerance to the caffeine, which then can consequently create smaller and smaller rises in your cortisol. And then you start becoming really like uh, reliant on having the coffee um, to, to kind of keep you alert. And then the other thing we want to think about is the reason why coffee keeps you alert is because it's effect on adenosine. So there's these, it binds to the same receptors that adenosine binds to, and it blocks its absorption. And adenosine would other cry, otherwise create more of like a sleepiness in our system. So by, or drowsiness. So by blocking those receptors, we get more of the stimulatory effects from the, from the caffeine because of its cortisol response. It also like, you know, kicks into our dopamine levels. It creates this alertness because it's, it's affecting that adenosine response. Um, so there's from, from that perspective, if people are having a hard time sleeping, then you also want to be mindful of the fact that um, it's blocking your body's natural adenosine re response and receptors being able to interact with adenosine. So then your natural drowsiness or sleep-wake cycle might also be affected depending on what time of the day you're drinking your coffee. Um, so that's one scenario that I'm always like, if someone's having a bad sleep, I'm like, you need to cut off your coffee cons coffee consumption sometimes I have to be just generous and lenient and be like by 2 PM. Cause some people are still drinking at like four or five to try to keep them mm -hmm. going. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes I'll be like, no, nothing afternoon after like 12 o'clock. Cause it can take sometimes for some people up to 12 hours to fully metabolize the coffee and have it out of your system. So you go back to really re reach your baseline status so that the adenosine can kick back in and allow you to begin to wind down for the evening. So you want to kind of keep that in mind and, um, the other thing is not drinking coffee, like right when you wake up, delay it for an hour and a half to two hours so that your natural cortisol spike can happen. And, uh, you might find that you have less of that 3 PM crash because now your natural cortisol spike happened. And then you're level for a longer period of time, because there is this natural breakdown that's going to happen as the caffeine gets metabolized through your system. Um, so those are, those are, those are two things.
that I think I wanted to point out um, really quickly before we kind of moved into the whole anxiety piece, but I feel like the sleep-wake cycle is such a big thing and people are screwing around with it all the time. And I wanted to make sure- no, and I wanted to make sure we 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 talk about that. And the reason is is like if someone is addicted to coffee and I'm concerned that they're dreaming, they're they're struggling with like an HPA axis dysregulation where their adrenal glands are maybe they need some TLC and some love and they're entering a, like extreme fatigued state and they they have to have the coffee to keep them going. That's the hardest person to sell to get off the coffee, but they're the ones that need it the most so that you can actually regulate their HP axis again. Yeah, the tired and wired people. It's, I see funny stuff in clinic when I do the the hands-on work because I, I watch them go from tired and wired to just tired. And it's a funny, I, I, I've always, you know, you've heard this tired and wired, it rhymes. So you think it makes more sense that maybe, but um it's it's true i've seen it so if the if you're wired you're still not addressing the tired you you can't mess with the tiredness you have to like coffee's not a yin tonic it's not going to replace sleep you're not going to get so many antioxidants that you don't have to sleep as much like you have to you have to get your hierarchies of importance right and like you're saying sleep don't mess with sleep no amount of coffee no sleep is so so critical um Anxiety, I think, uh, is one that I totally agree with uh, in terms of like being careful with it. I know my wife can't have it because it, it makes her heart go crazy. Like it, and it must, I think it's through, it might be through um, the stomach and the vagus nerve and dysregulation of heart rate, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but yeah, symp- if someone's symp- like sympathetic response, cortisol spiking, because it makes your cortisol spike faster and right. Yeah. And hers, hers, what I would think is even, it's more acute than, than cortisol. I think it's just, it happens so fast that her heart rate goes any time of day that she has it. So then I would add to that, um, to our list, stomach dysfunctions. Uh, you said specifically reflux and GERD. That's probably the, the one you have to be most careful with, I would say, but there's people who just have any, they have like an intolerance to ass, like to acid, it seems, which might be why it's helpful. Right. Cause I think you said, didn't you say it makes more gastrin, uh, like, uh, you know, yeah, gastric acid in gastrin stimulation was what right. the article was saying. And, and low gastrin, gastric acid is probably a major factor for uh, a lot of people's declining health or declining yeah. uh, resilience to chronic disease creep, if you yeah. want to call it something like that. So maybe that's why it helps a lot of people, but some people uh, yeah. it's not going to be good for. So, yeah, I mean, caffeine just stimulates the heart, increases blood flow, and, and it can increase your blood pressure temporarily. And it said in sensitive individuals for anxiety, caffeine can increase anxiety at doses of 400 milligrams or more a day. So that's why they say most people can safely consume three to 400 milligrams. And it's approximately like 95 milligrams uh, of caffeine in a standard eight ounce cup of coffee. Um, I think is what the, the, the amounts are. Um, I still feel like that's four, that's still three to four cups a day. I feel like that's still a lot. Uh, especially if you're trying yeah. to like, especially if you're trying to be mindful of your sleep wake cycle. Cause it's not like you're going to drink three cups of coffee within one hour at like 10 o'clock in the morning. Most people are doing that spread out throughout the day. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think that that's necessarily the best rule of thumb either to gauge it on. But if you're just basing it on anxiety, then more sensitive individuals, 
according to this Harvard particular research article said that uh, at those 400 milligram doses or more, um, it can cause more nervousness and speed up heart rate and symptoms that can also be felt like an anxiety attack. So people who have anxiety or panic disorders might be overstimulated by overloading on caffeine. But like you said, some people are just so sensitive that it's one cup and it does the trick, yeah. right? So you really have to just think about your constitution. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And there's an interesting thing here too. So the caffeine can block the effects of the hormone adenosine, which is responsible for deep sleep, but it uh, not only lowers that, but it can also increase or decrease other hormones that affect sleep, including dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, and apparently GABA. Um, and sometimes the levels of melatonin, just to go back to sleep, can also be dropped in the presence of caffeine as both are metabolized in the liver. So there might be preferential uh, metabolization there in the liver. And that might be also why it affects quality of sleep. Even if you feel like you are sleeping, you might not be reaching the deep sleep you require throughout the night. Yeah, like if you don't even know what it's like to have a, a deep sleep from drinking yeah. coffee before bed, you may not know what it's like to have a deep sleep the next night from drinking coffee That's uh, it. a little bit later you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think that, I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's like, for me, I don't, if I had to drink decaf coffee, it wouldn't make a difference to me. I just love the morning ritual and the taste. Um, but there might be, yeah, we didn't touch on that much, but it's important. Yeah. I don't, uh, I never looked into the difference of decaffeinated coffee versus regular coffee. I imagine that decaffeination will bring out some of the caffeic acids. So maybe less of that glutathione production or some of those other acids. I don't know if any of those other antioxidants are compromised by that process as well. I've never looked into it. I mean, obviously the caffeine is reduced. Um, and if I was to like, you know, if I had to switch, I would be fine to drink Swiss water decaffeinated coffee. Um, I don't know if I could give it up cold hundred percent. I'm not going to lie, but it, but it really might be something coffee. worth, re, might be something worth researching and talking yeah. about in the future for another yeah. episode. And I wonder if that has, if, if, if it creates the same type of effects for people, even from like the, the gastric acid and the gastrin and the, the colonic motility and all those things that we talked about as negative side effects. I wonder if it still has some of that in there. Maybe for future, uh, yeah, for future, we should look into it because it's it's important. They mm -hmm. often get conflated, right? Caffeine and coffee, caffeine and coffee. Right. Um, so um, I think I think it's a great, uh, so I'm, I'm, I feel like we're sort of closing, closing yeah. statements here. Uh, it's a, it's a great, I love this topic because there's a lot of information because um, it's the world's most used drug. Uh, yeah. Caffeine is the world's most used drug. Mm -hmm. so there's lots of information on it um i wonder about um financial interests in research ever since i've realized that um science follows money not the other way around um so i don't know i don't see any striking concerns with that so i'd imagine it's it's pretty it's it's pretty unbiased but then there's no such thing as purely unbiased um i would say it's a great case in point for that concept that we always talk about which is that individualization as uh as uh as much of a pain in the arse as as it is for everyone because we like things to be like easier structured right. in a way like bam take this for that bah, bah, every single person yeah. run into this do that it really is a good case in point because there's so much evidence to say um 
like everything, it's good if it's good. Got to individualize. Yeah. Cool. And the, the thing is, is like, there's a lot of really cool beneficial properties of coffee, but if your body is not tolerating it, then you're not, then you don't care gonna, about, you're those. not, you're not going to benefit from those things anyways. That woman <laughs> right? who retired from that re- woman who retired because she was uh, unable to control her bowel movements does not care about the, the phytochemical content. No, she doesn't care. She's probably, she's not going to even absorb it. Cause it's just slick as a whistle anyways. Like it's probably not going to make much of a dent. <laughs> Her antioxidant load is really not going to be all that effective anyway. (laughs) Let's be real. So, I mean, I think there's, I get the the, the take home is, is that there's, there's, there's arguments for pro and there's arguments for cons for coffee. Um, And uh, you got to find what works for you. But again, at the end of the day, like delay your consumption. If you are drinking coffee, wait two hours. Don't, don't make that the first thing you jump to. I always tell people start with water, hydrate your body for goodness sakes. Um, and then don't drink it super late in the day. If you are a coffee drinker, keep it, keep it to a minimum. If you are going to enjoy this. And, and I, you know, I just feel like I'd be remiss to, to not mention this, like stop adding disgusting coffee creamers that have like palm oil and hydrogenated oils and artificial sugars and flavors and stuff. And, uh, your body Drink will, better coffee. Your body, the, the your worst, body will thank you. <laughs> the worse the coffee is, the more those things seem appealing. Oh yeah. Um, and you're talking about timing there. I'll give a little, little <clears> teaser <throat> that someday we will talk about chronobiology. I wonder if it'll be a while because chronobiology is a big deal. You're talking about timing of when yeah. to take things. I actually think we don't know enough about this yet. And if there's any experts out there, I'd love to talk to you because the timing of when to take things is actually going to be. Uh, I predict to be very, very important uh, sort of part of lifestyle uh, science going forward. So it's but, where all those biohackers are trying to do all the things there. Yeah. 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 That's where okay, like the cool. blue light, the blue lights at night and the coffee in the mornings and those kinds of things. That's where that timing probably, matters. It's, it's the timing of it. It matters. It matter. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening to us chat about the world's most common drug. It's delicious.